World Lesson 12 in our book, and I don't know if there's any books floating around. Barry may try to get you one if you if you need one, but uh, we're, we are in, nearing the end of our study of <coughs> Paul's writings to the church at Thessalonica, so we may, may be out of books, but we are on Lesson 12, looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13, and we're actually going to cross over into chapter 3 and verse 5, and in last week's <laughs> lesson... We studied, and, and Johnny led us in a study of the first 12 verses of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And in that lesson, we learned about apostasy. We learned about uh, the deception that would come, the unrighteousness that would, was already in the world. And, and he ended that, that section in verse 12 talking about those who did not believe the truth but had pleasure pleasure in unrighteousness. Those that actually had just uh, were so far involved in sin that they were actually just fully taking pleasure in their own unrighteousness. <coughs> then the word in verse 13, but, that, that contrast, okay? Literally on the contrary. So we've had a discussion on, on perdition and apostasy and unrighteousness and all the, those bad terms, those negative connotations, but now we're going to talk about something different. Now we're going to talk about what should be. We're going to talk about those beloved by the Lord and how they're to behave and the manner of life that they're to have, those who have been separated, those who are set apart, those that are beloved of the Lord because of where they stand in relationship to Christ. And so I, it sort of sandwiched our lesson today, sort of sandwiched between that study of apostasy and, and those negative things. And then next week, we're going to look at, among other things, the need to disfellowship those who are erring. So we're kind of sandwiched in between discussions on sin and erring and unrighteousness. But Paul here is going to instruct those who are beloved of the Lord how they should behave in the manner of life that they're to have. And, and Paul was keenly aware that there was the possibility of falling away and the possibility of apostasy. Uh, and, and he's warning the Thessalonians not to, not to engage in that. Uh, Demas comes to mind, right? In, in his early writings, Paul mentioned Demas, and he was one of the ones right alongside Luke and others who was was there. He was faithful. He was needed. He was working for the Lord. And when Paul wrote his last letter to Timothy, what did he say about Demas? He's forsaken me, having loved this present world. And, and that's a lesson to each of us, a powerful lesson that let's not get too arrogant. Let's not get too high and mighty about where we stand in, in relationship to God, because it is certainly possible for us to fall away as Demas did. And so Paul didn't want that to happen to the, the church at Thessalonica. And, and Paul was one, he wasn't one to just baptize someone or baptize a group of people and walk away and leave them. Now, now he, you know, he, he would move around. I mean, he was a missionary, but he continued to stay in touch with these congregations. He continued to pray for them, as we'll see. And he continued to, to support them in what ways that he could, even though maybe he wasn't able to be there in their presence every Sunday when they worshiped. He was still very much keeping them in mind, keeping them in prayer, and, and wanted to instruct them and encourage them. And so in our lesson 
Uh, we'll read just the first couple of verses, beginning in verse 13. Paul said, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It had to be comforting to these people who were still under persecution to have Paul write to them and to know that he's praying for them. And we talked about prayer in our in Brother Edwards' lesson this morning, and, and Paul prayed for them, and we're going to see later on, he asked them, the church at Thessalonica, to pray for him. It's, it, it's a two-way street, I guess, for Paul. He, he was praying for them, but he also wanted them to pray that, that he would be able to continue to preach and that the gospel would, would run and, and be uh, spread throughout the world. Now, this idea of, of beloved by the Lord, I want to touch on that because it is the, the title of, of our lesson. Um, you know, I think sometimes we, I, I don't want to say we do a disservice, but when, when, we, when we say God loves everybody, that's true, right? I mean, God does love everybody, but I, I feel like we probably would be better served to personalize that a little more than maybe we do. That God doesn't just love everybody. God loves me. God loves you. I mean, we could put our name behind it and, and use our name and say, God loves us on a very personal basis. Uh, it's not that just he just loves everybody. He is, it's a personal relationship that we have with God. And, and God uh, loves everyone, yes, but those who are in Him, those who are in Christ, are described as beloved by the Lord. And it's a, it's a more personal relationship. And I think having that personal relationship gives us a better footing to stand on as we face the trials and hardships of life. These Thessalonians, these the church at Thessalonica, they didn't have it easy. I mean, these are the, they, Paul was run out of town. So we, and we talked about that over and over, the fact that Paul, he was kind of run out and the church at Thessalonica had to stay behind and, and deal with persecution that we probably uh, maybe can't fully understand because we've never experienced it. Um, but Paul had to call, call them to, and remind them through his letter that, hey, you're beloved of the Lord. You've been sanctified. Uh, you've been chosen for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in, in the, the truth. Uh, God, God, we see through Paul's writings, has, has a couple of, of sides. There is the, the side of justice and righteousness and sin will be punished. But there's also the side of love and the side of, I'm going to take care of those who are mine. I think it was Jeremy's lesson where he covered uh, chapter 1 of the book in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1. And I've always kind of focused on uh, the flaming fire and the vengeance in verse 8 on those that don't know God. And, and that would have probably been somewhat comforting to the church at Thessalonica to know that those who were persecuting them were going to be punished. 
that that persecution wasn't going to last forever, that ultimately they were going to be, be punished. But that verse 7, that first part, and to give you who are troubled rest. You see that other side to God, that those who are persecuted, those who are beloved of the Lord, who are ultimately going to be given rest. It may not happen in this life, but ultimately we're going to have rest. And uh, we may go through persecutions. We may go through, we will go through trials and hardships because everyone does. But ultimately we're going to have rest in Christ. Mary, yes. Very, very important. I don't know that I've ever really paid much attention to it, but love in any form, even between us, if, if there's not communication and interaction, what good is it? If somebody loves you and you never meet them, if somebody loves you from afar, it, it, it takes that connection. And God has come to us, and if, but if we don't go to Him and develop that relationship, what good is it going to be to us? And the thousand, millions of people that don't develop that relationship. They don't have that connection. They don't really understand that God loves them because they never reach out and take hold. And you know, it's it's to your point. It's it's possible to reject love, isn't it? I mean, we see that all the time. That that kids grow up and reject their parents' love, or 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 other examples that we could throw out. And so, it's certainly possible to reject God's love. The call goes to all, but not all will accept the call. And you're right, we have to have that relationship and that communication. And it's not an arbitrary decision, right? We're not beloved of the Lord because He just arbitrarily chose to love one person over another. But we are beloved of the Lord if we have taken the steps to obey Him, to come to Him and obey what He has asked us to do. We've responded in obedience to that call, which goes out to, to everyone. Other comments? Appreciate those comments. So despite their persecution that they're going through, their faith is growing, and for that, Paul is thankful. He says, we're bound to give thanks to God for you and uh, those that are beloved, beloved of God. I do want to, to point out verse in verse 14 two, two words that I think jump out to me. Uh, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word called and that word obtaining, to me, emphasize, emphasizes God's part and ours. Right? God does the calling, but we have to do something to obtain and answer that call. It's, again, not just an arbitrary decision. It's something on man's part. And sometimes there are those who, who say man has nothing to do with his own salvation. Well, there is an obtain. If you, if you obtain something, that means you had to have some effort. Uh, you had to reach out and, eat and grab it. That's, that's obtaining. That's some effort on man's part to obtain what is, what is offered. And this calling is not some miraculous Calling down, mm-hmm. picture that he had called. Sure. It's the gospel. gospel that's a call for all. It is. It is. Verse 15, he continues and says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions with which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. That, that term, stand fast, and that was uh, part of Brother Edwards' lesson this morning. He talked about 
a little bit about that. That term stand fast, I found it multiple times in Paul's writings. Uh, he, he mentioned it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16. He mentioned it a couple of times in Philippians in, in chapter 1 and chapter 4. And then in Galatians, Galatians 5, he, he said, stand fast. So over and over, stand fast, stand fast, stand fast. If, if you mention something one time in the Bible, I guess that's enough. But it jumps out to me when he mentions it over and over that, hey, that's pretty important. Stand fast over and over. Uh, and, and when I think about what that means, that standing fast, I think of, of being rooted. Paul talked about being rooted and grounded and loved. And you t- think about that big, big oak tree that has a deep root system and it holds and it stands fast. The winds come and the storms and the snow and the ice and, and that tree stands fast. I go go on farm visits sometimes to and, and home visits to look at trees and and you have a sick tree and that's one of the toughest things to figure out what's wrong with it because you can't look at the roots. Right? Somebody comes somebody calls you to come and look at a corn plant or a tobacco plant, you can pull that up and look at it. One corn plant out of a out of thirty thousand in an acre, you can pull that up and it's not gonna affect their yield. But somebody calls you to look at their shade tree. You can't exactly pull their favorite shade tree up and look at the roots. You just kind of have to speculate. Uh, But if you don't plant a tree properly, those roots, it may live healthy and good for for a few years, but eventually it's going to have problems. I've I've seen pictures of where folks have, have pulled trees up. They maybe made it seven or eight years, and they pull them up, and they had bought ball and burlap trees that still had the wire and they didn't take the wire off of the, the root system. And that wire, just the tree grew into it, and it killed it. Or uh, maybe they, they had a pot, a tree in a pot, and it stayed in the pot at the nursery too long, and those roots will go, go around that pot if it stays in there too long. And if you don't prune those roots before you plant that tree, it'll continue growing in a circle. It'll choke that tree to death. Uh, and it's hard to identify because, again, you can't look at the root system, but we... We know and we understand that a healthy root system is really important. And if you don't have that, that tree's not going to last very long. Well, as Christians, if we don't have that that root system, if we're not grounded, then we're not, it's going to be hard to make it through the storms of life. And, and we're going to face storms. We not may not face and, and hopefully won't face the same kinds of persecutions that the Thessalonians faced, but we're going to face storms. And if we don't have that root system, it's going to be it's going to be hard to stand fast. We're to be like a tree planted by the river of water. Yes, ma'am. And bring its fruit in the season. Its leaves does not wither, and whatsoever we do shall prosper. Yes, ma'am. Psalms one. Psalms one. Absolutely. And that's uh, that analogy to the tree is pretty powerful. Because we've all seen the, out in California those big redwoods, seen, seen pictures. I've never been out there, but I've seen the pictures of the, the cars driving through those, and it's just amazing. But that's how we're to be, is to stand fast. And we can't do that if we don't have a good root system. Now, how do we get a good root system? Study. Yeah. Uh, are we still known, and I've heard Brother Edward mention that Christians used to be known, the, the members of the Lord's Church used to be known as a walking Bible that you could you could ask them 
questions and they they quote scriptures just like Miss Ruby just did from Psalms. Do we still have that reputation? Um, and we're never going to know everything, but uh, we we just have to continue to study and and try to be as rooted in the scriptures as we can be. But that that idea of stand fast again is really important here because what's he just talked about? He's talked about apostasy. He's talked about the son of perdition. He's talked about the fact that there there are those who are unrighteous and those that are involved in sin. And he's going to talk next week, not to get into Josh's lesson, but he's going to talk about, hey, there's going to be a need to walk away from those who don't do this, who are disorderly. So for you all, the church at Thessalonica, I need you to stand fast. I need you to be rooted. I need you to be grounded in the scriptures and continue to hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So these this word traditions is a little different than the word that we use for traditions or the, the thought that comes to our mind. We have traditions, right? We have family traditions, not not the kind that Hank sang about, but, but our own traditions that we have that we pass down from generation to generation. And even in the church, we have Traditions, we, uh, until COVID, we shook hands with people when we greeted them. We have traditions about when we meet and what time we do this and what order in the service we do things. And we're not bound by scripture uh, for those things. But Paul's not talking about those human traditions. He's talking about the teachings. And uh, that's probably a better translation of the word. I think the NIV and, and other versions render that word teachings. And so they're not traditions that Paul just came up with and is trying to get them to go along with. These are actual teachings that he's passing to them um, both in person and through his writings. And he mentions that in, in 1 Corinthians. He uses that same word uh, in chapter 11, verse 2. He said, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep their traditions just as I delivered them to you. So that word traditions, but he goes on to tell the Corinthians that those traditions aren't, aren't from him. Uh, that same chapter in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, he said, For I received them from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. So those traditions... Again, work from him, they were from the Lord. Uh, again, in 1 Corinthians, in, in chapter 15 and verse 3, he said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Uh, and the more I study the, the writings of Paul, the more it just comes out to me. He is just constantly emphasizing the fact almost having to defend himself that, that what he's passing along to him is from the Spirit, from Jesus. It's been revealed to him that it's not his idea. Uh, and in various books, he, and we studied it in First Thessalonians, that he had to point out that what he had received, that it wasn't from him, that he didn't just come up with this. And, and, and most uh, many of his writings, he does that. But even today, Paul... His writings to a lot of people just don't carry the same weight. And, and you'll see that argument made. If you try to quote something from 
from one of the epistles of Paul, people will, well, Jesus didn't say that. That's, that's words of a man. That wasn't out of Jesus' mouth, and so I'm not going to believe it. Well, again, Paul was an inspired apostle. He spoke by revelation. He, this wasn't just a man's opinion, wasn't just a tradition of man, but was rather a teaching that was to be obeyed. Christopher, the word's authority. He's, he had the authority to do it. He had the authority. Because he was inspired. I mean, he was inspired just, just like the other uh, other writers of the New Testament. I find it very interesting that people are still trying to pick apart things that are within the, the, the Old and New Testament as being not from God. And why do you think it ended up in that book in the first place? Do you not think that God has the power over the years to put in there what needs to be in there and keep out what didn't sure. need to be in there? But people, their God must not be as powerful as mine, yeah. I guess. They just they don't want to listen. I'm sure they're, you know, developing their own Bible from their own thoughts. Yeah. I'll take this part, but I don't know. Sure, let's pick and choose. And it wouldn't be that's a that's a good point. It wouldn't be really fair for God to allow us to have a book full of stuff that that's not all his, that's not authentic. For him to just allow us to have a book where, hey, there's some stuff in there I really want you to follow, but this other stuff that's in there was written by a man, and it's okay to ignore that. Well, God God wouldn't allow that to happen, so that's that's a good good way to look at it. Good point. Josh? Chris, these traditions, and like you said, teaching, probably a better word for us to understand. It's going to be involved in Chapter 3 and next week's lesson, too, but... Uh, he taught these people explicitly when he went to visit them to help start the church. He's reemphasizing it in the epistle. And he also wants to lead by example, too, because he mentions do as we did, I assume he meant him and Silas and Timothy. So uh, he is really trying to reemphasize multiple times because this is all fresh to them. We have it in the scripture, we can refer to it, but he wrote to them and he was teaching by example. He was really trying to set things straight from the get go. Sure. Good point. And it, it wasn't, according to the, the research I did, it's not been very long since he wrote First Thessalonians that he's writing Second Thessalonians, maybe maybe a year. And so I, I, he took, sent, the, sent the first letter to them, and they came back with questions, and, and now he's responding to those. Um, but he really does want them to, to be faithful, I, I feel like, because he just understands the danger of sin and the danger of falling away and how easy it is to not stand fast and hold the traditions and the teachings that have been sent to them. Um, so let's continue with our reading in verse, uh, beginning in verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you and every good word, word and work. Finally, brethren, there's that word we learned about this morning. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So 
after he's encouraged them to remain faithful, he expresses his, his desire for Jesus and God to bless them and and these endeavors, and and that they're gonna they're gonna live a new life as as young Christians that's different and that should look different. That kind of goes back to that word "but" that we we mentioned at the outset that that it's supposed to be contrary, that they're supposed to look different than than the world around them, and a lesson for us as well. But then he asked his his fellow believers to pray for him. Um, and I think that's powerful. I think that would have been powerful to the, the young church, that here's this missionary who taught us the gospel, and he's wanting us to pray for him. Uh, I don't think any of us would describe Paul as weak. I don't think any of us would describe Paul as lacking trust in God. And, and yet sometimes we, we maybe get the idea that it's, it's a sign of weakness to ask for help or a sign of weakness to ask somebody to, to pray for us because we're going through a struggle. But, but that's not the case at all. In fact, it may be the opposite. It's a sign of strength to know that you need the Lord's help and the help of, of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And certainly, Paul, we wouldn't say lacked faith in God, that he lacked trust in God. But yet he still, even though he has confidence that, that God is going to provide, he still asks for the church to pray for for that to happen and that, to ask God for that help. It didn't stop him from asking uh, for prayer. Uh, that word, that word uh, in verse, let's see here, uh, that word run, I didn't write the verse down. Let me see here. Chapter 3, verse 1. Thank you, Johnny. Pray for us that the word of the Lord might run swiftly. Anybody else's translation say something different than swiftly? Free course. Free course. The word comes from, uh, and, and I'm, I'm no expert, but uh, treco, I think is maybe how you pronounce that, to proceed quickly and without restraint. Sort of this unbridled, spread. Uh, some translations say speed ahead or spread rapidly. So he didn't, he wasn't simply asking for for people to to receive the word and maybe it's sort of this lackadaisical, hey, some, maybe if I throw this message out here, some will, some will hear it, some might believe. Paul is real. He wants the word of God to spread rapidly. He wants it to run, to swiftly go through uh, because he loved people. He loved the Lord and wanted people to be saved. It was important to him that, that the message run and, and get out there. And he was, yes, confident that that was going to happen, but also understood the power of prayer and, and wanted that on his behalf. Comments on, on that? Paul uses running the race. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the words he used, diligent, uh, you know, those, those words that require immediate and strong effort are always used by Paul. And all of us know that if we get lackadaisical, if we slow down, if we take too much rest, or we it, things won't get done, they won't happen, and, and you'll just, if you don't watch it, you'll become... 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You'll uh, petrified. Yeah. Get <laughs> stiff, right? Yeah. yeah. I've actually heard that. I've actually heard that used. You know, if you don't watch it, yeah. Yeah. I mean that is that's a that's a good way to put it. And you hear that people that retire and just sit around and do nothing. A lot of times they don't last too long. I mean, you, I've seen people that retire and just go home and die, and it's really sad and unfortunate. And then there's those that hey, they'll retire from one career and go to another and and continue or even just gardening or working around the farm or the house or whatever, but you got to be doing something. Well, that, it depends on how old they are when they retire. That's probably too, true, Miss Barbara. That's probably true. But yeah, we can get stiff. We can get, uh, as you say, lackadaisical in the work of the Lord and rust up, right? Be, be ineffective. And he didn't want that. Uh, and I think we have to remember this is a young church, but these... These lessons are very applicable to those who are older Christians as well as those who are younger in the faith. And uh, again, Paul wasn't one to just establish a church, let's baptize you into Christ and, and walk off and leave. He understood that there needed to be a continual growth, continual learning and growing in the in the scriptures. But I, I do think as we as we close here that uh, it, ju it just comes to me that where this is between Josh's lesson next week and Johnny's this week, it's it's a warning to this this church to keep going, to stand fast because there's there's the danger of apostasy. We know that some are going to fall away and that you're going to have to withdraw maybe from those who have, have fallen away. But for you all in Thessalonica, I want you to to understand who you are, that you've been sanctified, that you're beloved by the Lord, you're His, and to continue to stand fast and uh, keep on keeping on.